Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, our weekly podcast. Our signature is sharing stories of vital women 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that women become irrelevant as we age. We appreciate your support. Join the Aging Reimagined Circle at womenover70.com. Promote your book in Books by Women and invite us to speak to your organization. And today we're very happy to invite Diane Diedrich Demartra to our studio for our conversation. I met uh, Diane while she was completing her graduate studies at the School for New Learning at DePaul University. At that time, Diane was supervisor of the Next Step College Readiness Mentoring Program, Child, Chicago Child Care Society with the University of Chicago. Now at age 71, Diane continues her decades long efforts to disrupt the intergenerational cycle of poverty and complex trauma that are experienced by women and children in the black community. In 2017, she founded a nonprofit organization, Just For You, Girlfriend, whose mission is to prepare teens and young moms for a lifetime of sustainable income through post-secondary education and financial literacy. And in 2022, Diane wrote a book to pass on crucial life lessons and wonderful witticisms learned from her own mama. This book is called Mama Wit, Words of Wisdom, Encouragement, Inspiration, and Love. Diane is married, has three adult children, four grandchildren. She describes herself as a seasoned communicator who enjoys overcoming challenges in life and is a lifelong learner. So Diane, welcome to Women Over 70. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. We're happy, so happy to have you. Now, you have a background in marketing communication for corporations, agencies, and nonprofits. You've specialized in public information and public relations. You've also been adjunct faculty in marketing communications at Columbia College, Chicago, and yet you've transitioned to working in direct service with young girls and women in low-income communities. So just what led you to work now all these years in social services for young girls and women? Well, uh, it's kind of a little long story, which I will uh, definitely uh, condense. (laughs) But um, as a young child, um, my father provided us with a lower middle class lifestyle in Chicago. Uh, I resided in a beautiful apartment in a really nice neighborhood with my uh, father, mother, and older brother. My father worked and my mother stayed home with us, uh, keeping the apartment immaculate, baking, crocheting, was active in the PTA at our schools. I had even traveled on an airplane by myself at nine years old to visit relatives in Philadelphia. (laughs) And uh, then when I was 10, everything changed. Um, My father ended up having several strokes and heart attacks. He became wheelchair bound. And I spent the rest of my preteen and teen years growing up in one of Chicago's housing projects. It was a really rough environment. And after my mother went blind when I was 15, I became a caretaker for my parents while my brother dropped out of college to help support the family. Mm. Um, Because I had been exposed to a different lifestyle, I um, knew there was life outside of the projects 
And um, I knew eventually I would get back there. Not like many of my friends in the projects that thought this was it. Uh, This was going to be their lives. And it was. Many of the friends that I grew up with lived and died in the projects. Uh, They got caught up in all the vices that were prevalent in the projects, the the gangs, the the dope, the the prostitution, and uh, all the crimes that just kept them in and out of the criminal justice system. Um, Just, I would say, just like it was a revolving door. I always felt grateful that I had people around me who believed in me, who wanted to see me do well. And that wasn't the case with many of my friends. Uh, I needed that support. And that's how I got out. I was uh, supported by uh, my close family members. And I was able to graduate from City Colleges of Chicago and then the University of Illinois. And I began my career in public information at the university and then later worked for a corporate a global firm in public relations. Uh, fortunately, the president of the public relations firm believed in doing pro bono work for a nonprofit organization. I loved it. Uh, many organizations had wonderful programs, but they didn't know how to communicate with their communities or with potential funders. I realized that I could give back to the community I grew up in. And I began volunteering with several organizations serving that community. Uh, While employed at the public relations firm, I was teaching marketing communication classes at Columbia College. And I designed a course for arts, cultural and social services organizations. One of my students who happened to be an executive director of a well-known nonprofit organization offered me a position working with women who were single mothers. And I accepted it PR and I never looked back. And uh, what, what, what year was that or how old were you when that happened? I was, I was 40. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was 40. Wow. And so all these, these, the last 30 some years, then you have been working directly with young girls and, and women. And I know that that influenced the, the nonprofit that you founded in 2017, but can, can you give us some more insight into what you, what you learned, what you uh, saw in, in those years before, before you founded the, the, your organization? Sure. Um, what I ended up doing after um, after I accepted the position and began working with um, the women, I realized how closed their world was. <laughs> that um, basically they functioned within a mile radius and never really got outside of their neighborhood. And so what I started doing was taking them to grocery stores. I would hire a bus and I would take them to grocery stores and go outside of their communities just to let them know what was available. Um, I started um, teaching them how to coupon, 
mm-hmm. um, and how to um, uh, starting talking about managing money and uh, just exposing them to different things. And I think that's so important because uh, so many times people are told, well, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, if you don't know what boots are, then you certainly don't know what the straps are. And uh, that's what I learned that is so important to be able to expose um, women to that. After I left that organization, I ended up doing work in higher education. Um, I ended up being a transfer coordinator for city colleges helping students to not only enroll in school, but helping them to transfer uh, their credits to senior universities. And I ended up working with different universities and doing um, uh, articulation agreements for them so that the students could transfer their most credits. So, uh, and by working with several universities, I got to know their admissions directors and uh, their registrars. And this helped me to be able to help the students I was working with because now I had a personal relationship and I could help the students learn about the resources at the different universities that could help them be successful when they went so that they weren't uh, basically like on their own uh, when they left. So as I understand it, that's still that is continues to be part of your mission, isn't it? To absolutely to to help teens and and young women of any age, I assume, get access to post-secondary education and be able to navigate those systems, which can be very foreign. Is that that still part? That's part of what you're just for you, girlfriend. that is that part of is that your part of your mission for just for you girlfriend yes our our mission um we focus on mentoring and um our organization is really um we're we're, we're really uh how do i say we're um really fortunate that um many of the students that well, I should, I call them the students, many of the young people, and I should say they're probably not that young anymore. They were uh, my mentees, either when I was teaching or uh, in some of the organizations that I worked for, uh, or either through the, uh, through the different uh, programs that I directed. They were, um, they went on to become successful. They went through the programs where we always focused on post-secondary education, uh, whether it was college or whether it was vocational training. And they went ahead and uh, got their degrees, got their associates, their bachelor's, their master's degrees. uh, And one is even an attorney now. And they uh, volunteer their time with Just For You Girlfriends. They're on our board of directors, they're on our advisory board, and they've been mentors. And it's so wonderful that they want to give back because they really work, they really walked in the shoes of the Diane, that we work with now. Diane, I have a question. Uh, 
Yes. Uh, so how does funding play into all of this? Because I can imagine that a lot of these girls cannot afford to pay for college or, uh, you know, any post-secondary work. So does, do you, have you been involved in that aspect of helping them find funding? Yes, we help them find funding. And one of the things that we um, really um, stress right now um, is two-year city colleges for those who uh, have a real strong support system around them. And we feel that they, um, their grades are strong enough. We do help them to um, be admitted to four-year institutions. But many of them, because they are um, parenting and still uh, struggling with all the things that teens and young people do, um, we suggest city colleges where they won't where uh, they will qualify for all the funding so that they really don't have expenses out of pocket uh, going to school. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. So um, I have a, qu a question for you too, Diane. Clearly, you're very. We were you're extremely involved in your professional life for all these many years, and and you were married. You are married. You have three child had three children. So how did you how did you balance or manage all of the your professional work and your studies with with your family life? It was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. I guess as women, uh, we juggle, <laughs> and uh, it was really a, a juggling act. And um, I think about um, oh, I can't think of her name right now. That's terrible. But the woman who was just um, um, admitted to the Supreme Court, and how she talked about how she juggled, and sometimes she didn't get everything right, and. I thought about that and I said, yeah, that's true. But you just try and focus on um, what's important at the time. And you really just, it is, it's, a, it's truly a juggling act. Uh, I know for me, it was so important that my children did well in school, that they stayed focused on their studies, that they all, I mean, here I am running programs, uh, helping students go to college, I wanted my kids to go to college as well. And fortunately, they all did. And um, so, but it really was a juggling act because, um, and as women, we do this all the time. Um, what is it they say? You're um, um, bringing home the bacon and then you're frying it and then you're serving it and <laughs> cleaning up afterwards. <laughs> So, so um, just I, I really want to make sure we have time to hear about the book that you that you published in um, 2022. So just very recently, called the Mama Wit: Words of Wisdom, Encouragement, Inspirational Love from the Inspiration of Your Own Mama. What can you tell us about this? Well, um, my mama was not um, formally educated. <laughs> Um, uh, I, I don't even know if she finished eighth grade, uh, but she respected education and what she believed education could do. And, uh, in our house, household growing up, 
uh, education was very important. Even as I was taking care of my parents, uh, they always stressed to me the importance of going to school and doing well and uh, wanting to find out how was my day and, and uh, at school and what did I learn. Uh, in fact, my mama's dream for me was that I would graduate high school and go to college. She would. Um, she had a saying. She would say, uh, "With an education, your mind and not your body is gonna do the hard work." <laughs> nice. Beautiful, right? <laughs> and um, my mama grew up in a time um, when black women could not be forceful or uh, often direct in what they wanted to say. So she gave her advice through her sayings in kind of a roundabout way. And she had plenty of them. Uh, whatever situation I was going through, she had advice through one of her sayings. And they were always so comforting. Um, throughout Can you the give us an example or two? Of, of her sayings? Uh, of her sayings? Okay, just like I was going on my date. And, um, and as I bent down to kiss her goodbye, she stuck a $10 bill in my hand. And I told her, I said, oh, mama, uh, he's going to pay for everything. And uh, she said, she whispered to me, she said, when you goes on a date, you don't always know what's going to happen. <laughs> sometimes you enjoy yourself and sometimes you don't. Mm -hmm. I hope you has a good time tonight. But if your date don't act right or you don't like where you at, this $10 is your getaway money. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Smart money, we used to call it. What'd you, what'd you call it, Gail? We used to call it mad money. We mad all make sure we had a 20 or a 10 tucked in our wallets. That's I see. <laughs> yeah, I don't go anywhere without my getaway money. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Diane. <laughs> so um, I guess during the... Um, and, and throughout the years, I used to share some of the sayings with her friends, like when she would say some people you have to feed from a long handle spoon, things like that. <laughs> and, uh, during the pandemic, when everything was shut down and we really didn't know what was going on, I was seeking comfort um, that everything was going to be all right. And I thought of my mom and all of her sayings that used to be so comforting. And I just began writing them down. Mm -hmm. And that's how I came up with the book. <laughs> well, it's delightful. I, I have I have my own copy now. And um, <laughs> it's something I have within easy access. So I can turn to that. It, it's really lovely. <laughs> well, thank you. To your mother. Yes, thank and you so much. much. Yeah. So, Diane, uh, you're only 71. So, as I said, you barely <laughs> qualify for our podcast. But but you do. But how do you think about your own aging and and what's next for you? Well, it's it's been amazing. Uh, I remember, well, I had a, a favorite aunt uh, who lived uh, well into her 90s. And I remember when she was probably a little bit older than me, 
she used to say, I'm sorry, when she was older than I am now, she was probably about in her mid 70s. And she used to say that her uh, body, she knows, is getting older, but her mind is still young. She said, I don't think of myself as in my 70s. And I thought at the time, hmm, I don't know about that. But <laughs> now that I'm in my 70s, that's how I feel. I feel I feel energized when I hear certain things. I, um, I'm still looking forward to a life and everything that it has to offer. Every day is, is exciting for me. I think I'm going to learn something new or meet somebody new or um, or just enjoy the day. So um, that's how I feel about getting older. I, I, I feel really grateful to be here and to um, be alive. You know, on your resume, you you indicate that you among your, your many care, you know, good characteristics, you're a lifelong learner. And you've certainly given us a glimpse into that. But what, what can you say about the, the role of learning in your life? Well, as you know, when I met you, I went back to school in my 60s. <laughs> and um, I had the pleasure of learning from you and many other wonderful instructors at DePaul and my classmates. Um, I guess my learning now is more researching as I begin to write grants. Um, and I learned so much um, just uh, in making sure that I'm writing about things that are relevant and what's going on and, and the intergenerational cycle of poverty and how it affects mothers and women and children. So I'm, I'm learning um, uh, educational and research uh, also meeting with people now who are doing uh, nonprofit work in the community, learning how their programs are being successful and how our partnerships can be beneficial to the young women and teen girls that we serve. So um, that's more so how my learning is. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and my husband and I, we talk so much more now that um, he's he's always run a home-based business. But now that I am home, uh, I learn a lot. <laughs> well, I'll bet he does too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's lovely. Yeah, it's that, you know, when I met you too, I mean, you your learning is for a purpose. You want to put your learning into action. Yes. And that's, yeah, thank you. That's That's really great. Gail, anything before we close? No, I've really enjoyed learning about your mission and this not uh, girl. What what is it? Just for you, girlfriend. Just for you, girlfriend. Organization. Yeah, I think you're doing a really great job, Diane. Well, thank you, thank you, Gail, so much. I appreciate that. And of course, when when we when your episode is available, we will include the uh, website for just for you, girlfriend, as and and also for your book. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah, happy to do that. So thank you, Diane, so much for being with us today. It's just been a joy to hear. I even learned a few things and I thought I knew you pretty well. So thank you. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. Thank you both. It was a pleasure meeting you, Gail. So You're good to see welcome. you. <laughs> so good to uh, hear from you, Dr. Catherine. Thank you. <laughs>
And listeners, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and leave a review. Visit our website, womenover70.com, and access all of our episodes and easily search by name or category. Join us the first Tuesday of each month to enjoy programming beyond the podcast hosted by our Aging Reimagined Circle. Membership information is on our website, womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined.